Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from the book of Luke, the 7th chapter, and beginning with the 36th verse. A Pharisee invited Jesus to have dinner with him. Jesus went to his house and sat down to eat. There was a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. She heard that Jesus was eating in the Pharisee's house, so she bought an alabaster jar full of perfume and stood behind Jesus by his feet, crying and wetting his feet with her tears. Then she dried his feet with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man really were a prophet, he would know who this woman is, who is touching him. He would know what kind of sinful life she leads. Jesus spoke up and said to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Yes, teacher, he said, tell me. There were two men who owed money to a moneylender. Jesus began, one owed him $500 and the other owed him $50. Neither one could pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Which one then will love him more? I suppose, answered Simon, that it would be the one who was forgiven more. Your answer is correct, said Jesus. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your home and you gave me no water from my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You did not welcome me with a kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came. You provided me no oil for my head, but she has covered my feet with perfume. I tell you then, The great love she has shown proves that her many sins have been forgiven. Whoever has been forgiven little, however, shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now Luke has it that way. And if you turn back to the book of Matthew, recording the same story in all probability, the 26th chapter and the 10th verse. Jesus, instead of rebuking this woman, this is what he said to Simon. It is a fine and beautiful thing that she has done for me. It is a fine and beautiful thing uh, that she has done uh, for me. You can do something beautiful. I had it called to my attention this past week again by a strange set of circumstances that there's a church not too far from us of every old church and a very great church here within our city and close to right in the town really but there was the young preacher years ago when that church was young too uh, that the bishop wanted to appoint this young minister to that church and when the official family of the church heard that this young preacher was going to be sent that they objected to it and let the bishop know in no uncertain terms that they did not want that young preacher to come and to be their preacher. The bishop was a very sensitive person, and a very wise person, did not want his young preacher hurt, and so he made arrangements to do something else. But in the meantime, when this young preacher 
heard that uh, the church had rejected him and did not want him to come and to be their preacher. He knew they did not know him that well uh, for them to reject for some reason uh, that he could think of. But it's a very shattering experience for this young preacher. And it was not overcome until another church heard about the dilemma that the bishop was in and this young preacher was in. And so this church, a very old church too, and a very great church, and said, Bishop, it would be fine with us if you would appoint that young man uh, to our church. Now you stop to think about that, and one has said that this was a thing that saved this young preacher to the ministry. Now this young preacher went on to become a bishop within our church and became one of our great preachers and served with great distinction here in our conference and was actually a bishop longer than any other man that I know of being a bishop because he was elected to the Episcopacy when he was a very young man, somewhere I think within his 40s. Served long, a long time. Now, you think about uh, that church, how sorry they were for what they had done, but it couldn't be wiped out. The stigma was carried with them. But not only think about the tragedy that they lived through and was part of, but you think about that, that other church. What a wise church, what a cable church, what a very beautiful thing. What I'm really trying to say, what a beautiful thing for this other church to have heard and told the bishop, that's all right, we won't hold his age against him. Let him come. If you have a mind to appoint him here, we would accept him gladly. Well, I'm quite sure that they lived long enough to be glad that they did when they saw that their prodigy that they had helped uh, became uh, one of our great preachers and became one of our great bishops. Here within our scripture this morning, you have something very, very interesting. I'm not sure that I have the ability and capability to present it to you completely and totally as I would like to, so I invite your very close attention and your very prayerful consideration. But let you look at the situation uh, that Luke calls our attention to in a very dramatic way. Now he's trying to tell us something about a way to live. There's a way that we can live and then there's a way for us to live. Uh, to approach life and something that is open for every one of us here this morning. I do not know all the reasons why that Luke included this story uh, within uh, his uh, work as he was thinking about uh, the important things to be said about the Lord Jesus Christ, but I can see enough in it to warrant, if I were doing it, to have included it uh, within uh, the story that I would have presented about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at this man, Simon. I look at this man, and he's a very interesting character to say the least. And you look at him long enough, you not only see a person. It's very easy to see this person. Well, it is for me, because I know part of that rascal lives within me today too. And I don't have to check your heart and even look at your life to know. And I think the thing that I'm talking to is my own soul this morning, as well, hopefully, speaking to yours as well. But I recognize this person. I see him. I know him. I'm on speaking terms with him most of the time, that is. And I not only see a person, but I see a society. I see a group of people, an attitude that they can have. And I want to think, as I see this element within our society, I think of Simon. And then I not only see a person and a society, but I can see a church too. I see a church. I can see a church easily within the personality here that this man had. Now, I want you to know that Simon was not 
what we would call a very bad person. Notice the contrast. You see, Luke wanted to make sure that we understood exactly what he was talking about. Because within his narrative of the incident that happened that he was part of, you see, he wanted to make so sure uh, that we understood what he was really saying. Notice the distinction that he makes between these two people. He says of one of them uh, that they were sinners. They were a noted sinner twice. He uses the words of being a sinner here. Now, Simon was a good man. We can't take that away from him. He was the man that had earned and won the respect of his fellow men. And he was well uh, noted within his community. Uh, and I'm quite sure is a good man. We don't have anything bad said about to this man. He was a good man. He was a man that uh, to have lived in a community would have been one that you'd wanted to have known because he had not only wealth, he had not only social power and social graces, but he had political power as well. And so he's a type of person that was of great influence. It's interesting to note that he, in all probability, made a collection of important people. If someone important came to town, and one looked to him, to old Simon, to entertain this person. I was somewhat envious of a man that I knew for a while down at Brandenburg. Not really. He was a wonderful person. I had the privilege of being his minister for five years. But he had a great job, I thought. It was a very interesting one, to say the least. He worked for the chemical company there in town, Old Eden Matheson, at Brandenburg, a big outfit down there. And it was his responsibility... All these dignitaries coming out of New York, Chicago, wherever they were from, all over the country, Texas or wherever, they would come if they had business with that chemical plant or owned it or whatever. It was his responsibility to meet the plane here in the city and pick them up and entertain them. He was given an expense account. He'd take them to the most expensive places, buy them whatever they wanted to, and so forth and so on. It was his responsibility to see that they were taken care of as long as they were visiting that plant. He would come up and meet the plane bring back to Brandenburg. He had a nice limousine to bring him in and take him back in. And I thought, well, that sounds like a nice job to have if you're going to have to work. Well, that's a good one to have. Well, Simon was sort of like that, but he was in a different position. Not that he had a limousine, but he had the finest home within the city. He had the prestige. He had the power. He had the money. And so he could entertain in a very lavish way. And if a stranger came to town, uh, that someone needed to open their home to. Old Simon was on the job. And so here he invites the Lord Jesus Christ to come over and to have an evening meal with him. Now, focus. nothing wrong with that. Not a thing wrong with that. You see, one of the problems Simon had, though, was he had a hearty concept of himself. In fact, he was so wrapped up with himself uh, that uh, he didn't realize he had any needs. He had a nice place within his community, and he had health, good health, and he had friends, and he had money. Now, what more does a person want, you see? You see, you've got to see this man as being a person within a society that his basic needs had been taken care of. He was not conscious of any great need that he really had, you see. He had this uh, efficiency about himself. Perhaps he's a little bit different than we are. Uh, maybe Simon knew that he was in a favored position within his society. And maybe he was conscious of the fact that, that uh, everything was going well for him. And it was a good day. The tragedy with you and me is that 
Well, maybe I'd express it to two ladies that I'm thinking about that I had a conversation with uh, some years ago, but it might as well have been yesterday because I remember it just as well as if it were. And one of these uh, who had reached uh, some years was looking back and saying that her happiest time was back years ago uh, when her children were at home and so forth and, and so on. And now uh, that uh, she is looking back, she realized that was the happiest time, uh, but she was not wise enough to know that that, that was going to be her happiest time. Now this other lady lost her husband 30 years ago. And what a difference. And in talking with her, she made a statement that absolutely floored me. And she had uh, such a now going personality and saw life as being something that really challenged her. And she winds her conversation up with me, something like this. She says, you know, she says, if I don't hurry up and die, she says, my husband's going to suspect that I've gone to the wrong place. <laughs> Well, if I had to be one of the other personalities, you see which one I'd want to be. Now, Simon was the man that had no great need. You see, everything was taken care of. He enjoyed life. And yet, when we see him in this situation, we see that he missed the greatest opportunity that any person could ever possibly have. He goofed it. He goofed the opportunity that really came to him. And he was not smart enough and wise enough to see it for what it really was. Simon did not have any great concern. You see, he helped the Lord Jesus Christ in contempt. Luke makes this very plain, you see, to us. Because he, he heard Jesus Christ say what he said uh, to Simon. And Simon extended to him no courtesies at all. None. Did not extend to him uh, what one would ex usually extend uh, to one coming within their home. All the little niceties and courtesies of welcoming one within the home was completely overlooked. Now you don't have to look at that too long before you see uh, what Simon thought about Christ. Not only that, but you see, Simon was not taken with the Lord Jesus Christ as being a prophet either. He was not taken by the Lord Jesus Christ as being a prophet. If you turn back into the scripture that we read together this morning, and you look up here at about the 39th verse, this is what Simon is saying. If this man really were a prophet, you see, Simon was suspicious. He doubted the Lord Jesus Christ being who he said he was and what he said he was. And Jesus said to him, Simon, I've got something to say to you. Well, go ahead and tell me about it. It wasn't said in a very kind and considerate way. We know what Simon thought about the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not moved by the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about it. Here is the one perfect person that has ever come to this earth. And Simon does invite him to his home. For what reason? I don't know. He just gathered up these dignitaries that came to town. But he didn't have too much respect for him. He was not moved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at the other extreme end of this society scale. And here is a person from the street. And he was not moved by her either. He had no compassion for Christ. And he had no compassion for Mary. When we can come into our society and look at what's going on and have no compassion for anything, we're in a very dangerous situation. 
What are you really involved in? How long has it been since you have been involved in something that has caused you to stay awake at night other than your own particular needs? How long has it been since you were so involved in and what's going on within our society or your neighborhood or in the life of a friend or a neighbor that you've actually stayed awake at night worrying about it and praying about it? This man had both extremes within his home. Tasted them, looked upon them, could have touched them, and was not moved by them. I say sometimes I see a church, and I want to call it Simon, outside of our own particular needs. Our forefathers thought in terms of taking the whole world for Christ. We can't even get involved in taking a community for the Lord Jesus Christ. How long has it been since you have shed a tear? over some great need or cause? How long has it been since your heart has been broken about something that did not happen, that should have happened within your church, within your community, or within the life of one of your friends or your neighbors? Now this is the sin of Simon. And it's deadly. Oh, it is so deadly. It is so deadly. It can stop the beautiful, wonderful movement to the kingdom of God dead in its tracks because we who make up the kingdom are so self-sufficient that we really do not have any need that we need to address ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ too and to the kingdom of God. I don't want to ever be part of a church unless the bishop says I have to where this church does not have a dream of past which its own finances, where we have to pray and where we have to meditate and where we have to come apart and spend some time with Lord Jesus Christ to have the strength and the courage to be able to meet the condition, whatever it might be. Do you see what Luke is trying to say to us as he presents to us these two situations that are so, so far apart, so far apart? I remember a man got so upset by what was going on in his county that he ran for a position within the county to clean it up. And he was elected. The first week that he was there, he hauled off and hit someone in the nose. <laughs> I mean, just clobbered him. And he came. As I was preacher here, I am supposed to be a Christian. And I am a Christian. I believe in Christ. And and here I am here to help clean up this mess around the courthouse. And I am the one that hauls off and punches another man in the nose. But you know that night I went to bed and I thank God that there was a man employed by the county, elected official. Maybe he did something in an overt act, but I thank God that there was a man that I knew that was trying to do something about the chaotic condition within our society. Well, Simon didn't have this type of feeling, you see. No. He let the world go by. Why bother? I'm comfortable. I have everything that I need. I don't really have anything to be concerned about, uh, really. And so this man, he lives and he doesn't live. He never knows the experience of experiencing something, doing something bigger than he is. He never experiences the great joy that comes 
by winning a victory. And the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the only way that you've been delivered is because the Lord Jesus Christ has delivered you. The only reason why that you have what you have is because you set your mind on this goal and you knew you could never do it without the blessings of God. And so God came through and blessed you. And what a wonderful, awesome feeling that really is. How many of us know what I'm talking about this morning? In your personal life or in the life of your church. Now we come to this second personality. Now this one that we know is Mary. She had a most difficult life. And what little she had to start with was taken from her very early in life. She knew what it was and how difficult the marketplace was. And she knew that not only vegetables and other things and animals were sold and bought in the marketplace, but she knew that a human being could, and she was one of them. Now we wonder what happened to her mother and her father because we know that she had a sister and a brother. And she lived with her sister and brother, and they tried to make a home for her as best they possibly could, I'm sure. But she turned out to when she had fallen in the marketplace and was bought and sold like any other animal there to realize the full demand that a society could make on her and, and how she had no defenses for it at all. She had no way of protecting herself. And I am quite sure that her brother and sister did the best they could and she was the type of sister that they wanted to keep in the back room and I am led to believe for the study of the scriptures and other places that that's exactly what they tried to do is keep her locked up in the back room because she was an embarrassment to the family. And then we come to this scene where the Lord Jesus Christ is having dinner with Simon. And now she didn't do anything rude here because the custom in that day was that when someone was entertaining a rabbi, a dignitary like Simon was, it was done usually out in the courtyard. And it was open to the public. Anyone passing down the street and saw that Simon was entertaining and they wanted to hear some words of wisdom from the one that he was entertaining there because they usually were people of uh, some importance. Well, it was perfectly all right to drop in off the street and get close enough to hear what was being said. You could learn that way and it was perfectly all right to do so. And in fact, uh, they invited uh, this to, to be done. And this is exactly what Mary did. She came in off the street and came over to the Lord Jesus Christ and took the most valuable thing that she had and that she had earned or gotten somewhere and did all the things to the Lord Jesus Christ that Simon should have done uh, when he entered his home that he did not do. And when Simon saw what was taking place, he was completely flabbergasted, to say the least. He was shocked and amazed that uh, this woman would do such a thing. And he was shocked and amazed at the Lord Jesus Christ. If this man was really a prophet, he would know that this is a sinner that's touching him and he would not let her touch him. So he must not be a prophet. And Jesus said, Simon, do you see this woman? I get it. Now don't lose me here. Look what the scripture... Do you see this woman? Well, of course he saw her. But saw her as what? You see. As a piece of furniture? As a no good person? He certainly did not see her as being the child of God, the creation of God that she was. You see, that's for sure. And that's the point that Jesus is making, you see. Do you see this woman? Well, of course he didn't see her the way that the Lord Jesus Christ was talking. 
And I want to tell you, Simon, something about her. She has done for me everything that you should have done that you did not do. Now, in closing, I guess I've said everything up to this point to say just these few things. You see, it was a beautiful thing that this person did. And I want you to think about it in this fashion. It was a beautiful thing because it's a type of love that God is looking for on the part and behalf of each one of us in relation to him. A love that doesn't count the cost. Oh, that's what it said. No wonder Jesus says it's beautiful. Because it's a type of love that doesn't count the cost. A commitment and a dedication is made, knowing full well that whatever the cost, whatever it costs, I am willing to pay. And here is this woman. I looked it up to make sure that I was right. And this perfume that she perfumed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with, if it had been sold, would have bought enough food to have fed 5,000 people. Or you can look at it this way. What she did in pouring out this perfume was a year's wages. It is God that expects us to come to him with a type of love that does not count the cost. And in her adoration, and in her worship of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second thing took place. She was completely oblivious to those who were around her. It was not, now what will Simon think, and not what my friends will think, and not what will this one think, but what is my relationship to my God, and what should it be? She was completely oblivious to them. She did two or three things that were not usually customarily done. No woman at that time ever let their hair down, so to speak, literally, in public. When they got married, it was pinned up, and it stayed that way in public the rest of their days. Do you see what is being said in this story? That there is a relationship between you and the Lord Jesus Christ that only can be experienced in a very intimate way. So much so that I can know that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins. So much so that I can know within the pit of my heart and my soul that Jesus in effect has touched me and my soul has been made well. A love that doesn't count the cost. Secondly, common sense will not always be able to tell you what to do. I'll just use one example. How can you take, give the Lord Jesus Christ 10% and then take the other percentage and make it go further than if you had kept the 10%. Does that make sense? Not unless you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not unless you trust God. Not unless you see yourself as a steward of God. Not unless you see that God owns everything. Not unless you see that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. Not unless you see that God is very rich and he will share with those what he will that have been faithful to him to obey his spiritual laws. And then the story tells me that there's some things only come to me once in life, only one time. And if I do not make the most of those situations where that happens, it's gone forever. And folk, I want to tell you that I have been in those situations and I was only alert to what was going on until after it was too late. And they've ever won, but a tragedy, as far as I'm concerned. Because here, 
is where I could have made a difference if I had been more sensitive and more alert and made a greater impact for the Lord Jesus Christ and made a greater witness for Him without saying a word, just by acting, than I could by preaching a half a dozen sermons. I was at a funeral home not too many months ago and one was hit by a car and died, a child. And that family was not in our community. It's out the way here, not too far from us. And they were a very poor family, very poor. And there was a layman that came to that funeral home. I was in that funeral home too. And he looked over the situation and went out. And while I was yet there, there was a man came in, catering service that came in. And among other things, I noticed that there was a country ham sliced. And was put back into the waiting room there in the funeral home for this little family. So they wouldn't have to go out of the funeral home to eat or anything. This, this little family couldn't afford it. No way. Couldn't afford even to eat out, I suppose. But this layman saw the need of the situation and took care of it in a beautiful way. Simon, do you see this woman? Do you know of her need? What is your response to it? Well, old Simon didn't even see it, you see. And in the last place, I want you to notice something here that's absolutely fantastic. And it's the only place in Scripture that I know where it takes place. There may be other places, but I'm not aware. You see, now what was the single greatest need that Mary had? Is one of the same need that you and I have. The one single greatest need that you have is stand in a proper relationship with God. You can only stand in that proper relationship with God if you've been forgiven. See, only way. I have got to be forgiven through the Lord Jesus Christ to be restored to my rightful place in the kingdom of God. Without that, whatever else I might have is sort of meaningless, really. What does it profit a person if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? The single greatest need that Mary had at the moment she stood with Jesus was to be forgiven. Now notice something. Mary did not ask for forgiveness. Read it. But notice something. The door of her heart that she opened to honor and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ was one and the same door that Jesus Christ in effect could come through and offer to her the one thing that she needed more than anything else and that was forgiveness. And he did. And so I can say that love on the part of God, the greatest need that love has, listen to this and we go home, the greatest single need that love has on the part of God is to be needed. That's right. The single greatest need on the part of God's love is to be needed. And when this need was revealed to Christ, he was able to do precisely what he wanted to do and what God sent him to do, and that was to forgive her sins and to prepare her for eternal life. Oh, our Father, help us then to see daily what we deal with and help us to deal with it in such a way that truly the kingdom of God will come more perfectly here on this earth when we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen.
Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven.